And this is part of the college's fortnightly series on personal and professional development for marketers. Uh, welcome back if you are here uh, for a return visit and a very special welcome if this is your first time. There are a lot of these episodes. We've been running these now for some 18 months um, every fortnight. And this is a slightly different one today on a Thursday. Normally we have these on Friday around about lunchtime in the UK. Um, but this one for special reasons uh, is on a Thursday. The topic that we're going to be covering today is one that for a lot of people is a, I guess you could call it a necessary evil. It isn't the first thing that people think about when they put their preference list of all things marketing and communications. Uh, a lot of us think marketing these days is all about being in social media, all about communications and advertising and all those wonderful things that sit, you know, I guess at the um, tip of the iceberg above the water that everybody sees. I like to call this data management and GDPR the engine room of marketing. And I think really what is quite interesting here um, is that it is quite, yeah, it is quite an important building block, I suppose we could call it that, um, within successful marketing. It's almost without it, without the knowledge of how to best manage your data, how to be, you know, very, very compliant as an organization or as a business. You really can't then get best, best returns from the stuff that everybody sees. So this is really at the heart of really, really effective professional marketing. But it is something that, as I said, a lot of people tend to sort of shy away from. So if you can find um, some um, real value from a session like this, then you will probably find that you are stealing a competitive advantage over your um, alternative uh, sort of organizations in your sectors uh, that your customers are considering. Now, there is really a delicate balance between having enough data about your customers to be an effective and proactive marketer and organization and keeping within the law and compliant to what we call the GDPR. And I'm going to explain the, the, the kind of the fine balance and the little nuances behind, you know, getting just enough, not too much, but getting enough that it means that you can do your job really effectively as a marketer. And this is going to be a theme that I'm going to be really sort of holding true as we go through this particular session, because it is really important that you're collecting and collating the right data for, for effective marketing, but not collecting so much that you're actually falling foul of the regulations and what is now actually legislation. So the legal aspects of data holding and data management. So there's a real kind of professional element in here. There's some really kind of strict rules, but there is also some flexibility. And I want to explain that to you because I think when we start using the term GDPR, a lot of people then think, you know, I'm going to get stung by this and we're going to get huge fines. And, and there is the potential for that, but there is some flexibility. There is a commercial realism behind this whole thing that we call data. So what are we going to talk about in this session? Well, I'm going to share with you some of the changes that are really starting to take place now. And if you are an advertiser, you will know that this is going to be a very, very different environment as we move into next year uh, to what we've always known and what we've grown up with as marketers and advertisers. You'll know that this thing called um, third party data um, that's allowed us to do remarketing and really effective advertising, particularly in social media, um, 
is all about to change. And actually, for some browsers and in some technologies and platforms, it already has changed. So we need to talk about that. And I want to share with you what you can do about it right here, right now. The onus on us as marketers is about quality and compliance. So I'm going to talk to you about how you can ensure that your data quality is of the very, very best. Okay, so this is going to be something that will give you a competitive advantage if you can get this right. So it's knowing what you can and shouldn't be doing with your data, knowing what to collect, how best to store it, and really using data strategically so that you can actually you know, future-proof yourself and your organization so you can use it in your plans, use it in your communications, and use it in your tactics in the years to come. And there has never been a better time to do it than right here, right now. Because if you leave this stuff to the last minute, when everything changes next year, you may well find actually you're playing catch up. So far better to be really, really paying attention now. So this is why I felt kind of mid 2022, that this is really kind of the best moment to be capturing this stuff and really starting to figure out with your colleagues what it is that you can do to really kind of, you know, set yourself up very, very nicely for the rest of this year, but particularly into next year when everything changes. Now, what we have seen is a bit of a transition. You might have spotted some of this stuff in the media. Um, and also, if you are a user of advertising platforms or you have data, you're a maybe data manager in the organization, maybe you're responsible for data holding in a CRM, customer relationship management system, or a marketing um, information system. You know, if you know data and you're using data, you will have seen things beginning to um, migrate towards what we call first party data. And this is where we're going to go with this conversation in this session. I'll explain why first party data, the data that you hold, is almost your golden chalice for going forward. This is the most important thing that you have in your organization from a marketing asset uh, right here, right now. And I'll explain what you can do with it and how best to use it in a moment. But first of all, let's take a little bit of a backward step as to kind of why is this stuff important right now? Why are we talking about data and why is this becoming real kind of um, a trend, if you like, um, in terms of the attention that marketers are putting on it? Well, back in 2020, Apple began to remove trackable data in its um, iOS 14 update. So why was that significant? Well, basically, it meant that there was less you could do to remarket through Apple platforms, Apple systems, and through the Apple Safari browser. In other words, what it was doing, it was removing the ability for marketers to be able to say, hey, I know you went to that website, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, and now I know you're going there. So I'm going to actually put some advertising in front of you, knowing that that's where you've been. Now, of course, that might have been, if you were the customer there, that might have been completely unbeknown to you. And that's the problem Apple had with this, is that a lot of the stuff that us marketers were doing was not necessarily consensual from the customer's perspective. So we were using their data, we were using how they were using the internet and their mobile phones and um, particular apps and services without their knowledge. And Apple did not like that. So two years ago, they started to remove as a feature, a lot of this trackable data that enabled us as marketers to do really clever stuff, knowing a lot more about the customers than they realized. 
In 2021, Google announced that it would be removing similar kinds of data from its browser Chrome by the middle of next year. Now, that was the big deal. That was the thing that made marketers suddenly sit up and take note. Apple are doing it. Google are doing it. Oh, hold on a minute. If Google are doing it with Google um, advertising, with Google AdWords, with Google banner um, advertising, with Google analytics, potentially there is an impact here. If you're running you know, conversion measuring through analytics, it was kind of then going to be basically appearing everywhere. This removable of tracking options within you know, one of the most, if not the most significant browser on the planet. Okay, so now we've got to take note. So by the middle of 2023, we will not be able to use tracking cookies and then serve up advertising to people based on their activities. Hmm. So now we've got a challenge here. And this year, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, has already started to remove tracking options for what they describe, and this is their words, for sensitive topics. Now, you can read into that things like race, ethnicity, and those kinds of topics. You used to be able to target advertising to people based on race, based on ethnicity, and other things that are, as they would describe, sensitive topics. You no longer can. So what, what they're doing now is they're giving you more generic, more um, safe, if you could use that word, options to be targeting. So Facebook are doing it. Google are doing it. Apple have been doing it for quite some time. So now is the time as a marketer, you've got to start thinking, OK, so all those options I've had for doing really laser focused targeting using third party cooking and, tra cooking and tracking data, I'm no longer going to be able to do. So what are my options then? If I can't do targeted advertising in the way I used to be able to do, surely my return on investment is going to drop. And the answer is yes. Fundamentally, yes, it is. Because your advertising is going to become more generic if you're using these third-party platforms and expecting to get the same kinds of results. So the return on the investment of your budget and your time and your energies is going to go down. Okay, I think this is going to be a fact. So we need to be able to do something about it. And that is the purpose of this particular webinar, because I want to help you through thinking about some of the early stages and steps that you can take. Because this retargeting, as we know it today, is going away in 2023. OK, so they will be, this is Google, retiring third party cookie. So online advertising that's relied on third party cookies to track history of online behaviors across websites, to collect data. And this stuff has served advertising for many, many years. This is going. OK, so the whole basis of digital advertising will fundamentally change by this time next year. Okay, so McKinsey have called this a seismic data shift. There's a lot of these big uh, consultancies and research houses have been doing a lot of work on this this year. So some of the latest kind of thinking of the latest sort of trend monitoring that's coming out from these big guys um, is, is very, very consistent. So what it's saying is that the 152 billion US dollar advertising industry will lose access to most third-party data, which has powered what we call programmatic advertising, the clever automation of the ads and the algorithms that put your adverts, when in social, when using Google, in front of the right people at the right time, based on their behaviors. So all of that is going. 
So that $152 billion industry is going to fundamentally change this time next year. And the spin-off effect, the knock-on effect to us is, as advertisers, going to be quite profound. Now, you might be sat there thinking, well, it doesn't really apply to me because I'm only spending the odd sort of $10 here, $10 there on little boosted posts. The same thing is applying to you, okay? Not at the big scale. If you aren't a big advertiser, it's not going to hit you quite so hard. But the fundamental principle of how you're posting advertising right now, even down to an individual boosted post, is changing. So I just want to read this through from, from something that was uh, published very, very recently by McKinsey's. Now, they are saying, and I want you to kind of really listen to this word for word, because this sums up everything that is the opportunity for us going forward. OK, so advertisers and publishers will now need to depend primarily on their own first party data or on data from walled gardens contextual targeting and greater support from data platforms. Industry participants' preparedness to take on this task varies widely, but advertisers, publishers and data platform companies all have the opportunity and an imperative to redesign their data solutions. The right path for each stakeholder will be different, but the cornerstone effort should be to create and sustain consumer relationships that produce a value exchange, meaning content from or access to publishers and platforms in exchange for personal data that's based on trust. Advertisers will need to build new data strategies that rely on first party data or, co or cooperate with walled gardens. Okay, so let's just briefly unpick this because this is super important for all of us. Okay, so we are going to need to rely on what we call first party data. That is data that we as an organization hold about our customers and our stakeholders. Okay, we're not going to be able to rely on third parties to be able to do this for us. So the data that we hold is going to rise right to the top of the surface in terms of an asset that marketers and organizations have. So the better quality data, the more appropriate data and consented data, in other words, the data and information that a customer agrees to share with you, so that you can hold it, so you can serve them with great messages, great propositions, great advertising, great newsletters, great updates, great products, great services. They've got to be buying into the idea that they're going to share with you some of their data. You can hold it on their behalf and you can serve them back with high value, excellent quality stuff. Okay. That is what McKinsey is saying here. And I'm kind of paraphrasing that to kind of make it really kind of actionable for all of us. And this includes me too. You know, it's, it's all of us literally in marketing and communications and business development. So first party data is going to be right at the heart of our attention going forward over the next 18, 24, 36 months. Okay, because if you don't have great quality data, about your customers and all of your stakeholders, now is the time to really get those meetings in place to figure out what is it I need to be holding? Can I get consent from the people I want the information about to be you know, agreeing to be held by us? And what are we going to use that data for? Okay, so those are the three key questions. Who do we want it about? Can we get consent to hold this information? And what are we going to use it for?
so that we can have this, as McKinsey call it, a value exchange. In other words, as they give us content and as they give us information and they give us data, customers I'm talking about, we can then serve them back with something of high value. That is this simple, simple, but really profound equation that's going to take place between now and the middle of next year. So it is now, right here, right now, the time to be looking at this. So everybody on this call, and thank you so much for joining me because, you know, I'm going to be banging this drum for a long, long time because a lot of people need to wake up to this. The fact you're here listening or watching this means that you're on the journey, and that is great. So thank you so much for being part of this. The people who don't, or the people who bury their head in the sand, or the people who look at that and think, mm, that's a bit dry, I want to get back to just doing social, have missed the point. This is profoundly and fundamentally changing how we do what we do. Forbes is also saying, okay, well, let's deal with the what next. So what Forbes has just come out with saying is that while all these changes are happening, customers are clamoring for more personalized and customized omnichannel experiences. To deliver exceed expectations and stay ahead of the competition, organizations need to pivot. This will mean a new data collection strategy and likely new technology that can help organize, sort and manage that data. So it's everything that we're talking about here. The customers are clamoring. I love that word. They're clamoring for more personalized and customized omnichannel experiences. In other words, they want you to focus on communicating with them in a personalized, customized way through channels that make sense to them. So are you collecting that data? There's big question number one. Do you know where your customers are? Do you know how they're using the channels that they prefer? Not what you prefer, but what they prefer. And are you personalizing and customizing the quality of the information and stuff that you're sharing through those channels? And if it means that you need to pivot, there's a really key word here. That might mean you need to turn the whole ship through a certain number of degrees to get to that point. But you can't now, we've opened this box, you can't now not know this. You already know it. You know that this is going to happen. You know this is coming because all of these big players tell us categorically the change is already in place. It's already a migration to this new world. So now you know it, you've got to do something about it. And that's what I want to talk to you about through the rest of this particular session. So what can you do now? Well, Gartner, and here we go, you know, I'm talking about all of the big players. They are all telling a consistent story. And so they're asking the question, how can I target something without cookies? Well, they say double down on first party data collected with consent. To succeed in the world without cookies, employ a first party data strategy and refocus on consent based advertising by obtaining users informed consent before collecting their data. So the quality piece now has risen. You know, we've almost had it a little bit too easy. You know, we've kind of relied on the Facebooks and the Googles of this world to kind of worry about all the data handling and worry about the retargeting and worry about all the programming and the algorithms. The attention now focuses right back on us because with all of that gone, it's now down to us to get the consents. It's down to us to refocus and it's down to us to collect and manage the data in a really professional way that makes sense to the customer if and as and when they say, hey, Neil, what, what, what data are you holding you know, about me? Because I want you to show me, I want you to share with me what you're holding. 
And if it's beyond the consent that I've given, sorry, Neil, but you're in trouble. So there's always that big flag kind of waving in the background, but there's things that we can do that probably aren't quite so scary. And that's what I want to cover here, because if you can be demonstrating, and this is a really, really key thing here, if you can be demonstrating good intention and behaving with that good intention, you will be fine. Okay, so when we talk about legislation and regulations and GDPR, if you have good intention, clearly stated, and you behave within those good intentions, you will be fine. Now, I've repeated that on purpose because it's so important not to fear things like data management and getting it wrong, fear GDPR, because it's there to help us. And yes, it is there to punish people who do it badly wrong without good intention. But if you can demonstrate good intention and be doing good marketing, if not great marketing, you will be fine. So where do you begin? Well, this is back to the basics. It's about creating customer personas. Yeah, really understanding who you're going to focus on and what data and information you want about that person to be able to serve them with the value that we've just been talking about. You need to plot their journeys. If you're not collecting data at every single step of the journey about how they're using your products or services, about how they're visiting your website and what they do when they come into your website, about how they interact with the communications that you put out there, then now is the time to plot that experience from their perspective. Um, you'll know if you've listened to all my stuff before that I spend a lot of time talking about personas and talking about those customer journeys, those personas are going on. And this is down to you to take ownership of this, because if you can then quantify data the data that makes sense at each one of those steps in the journey for each individual persona that you're targeting, then you are probably 80% of the way through solving these problems. Okay, so it isn't actually rocket science. I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, data, that sounds a little bit too heavy, a bit too detailed, a bit too forensic. But you can keep it quite simple. And one of the ways of bringing this stuff to life and not getting kind of caught up or bogged down in all of the kind of the, the legislation and all the kind of technical jargon, all the legal speak, is to actually visualize this stuff. OK, so create data visualizations. I've got a very simple one on screen here, which is you can visualize your data. You don't necessarily have to think of data as this kind of really dry data holding that, you know, you can't really unpick because you can't really make it make sense for you. Visualize your data. If you're a visual person, visualizing it is brilliant. If you haven't created a customer journey, which is a flow chart on a map, on a a flip chart, and so it is a physical thing, then now's the time to do that. And do one for each of the target personas or stakeholders that you have. This is where to begin. Keeping it very marketing-centric and knowing that you're going into this with great intention is the best way of starting this journey off. Worrying about, oh, do we meet all the legislation? Oh, do we know the, you know, the fine, fine detail behind every single, you know, sub-clause of GDPR, you know, um, regulation. If the answer is no, but actually you're going into this with good intention and you're being very authentic and genuine as a brand and as an organization, you're already doing the right thing. Okay, so don't get caught up yet in the detail. Keep this very, very simple and very marketing focused 
for now. The detail can come later when you go through the checklist and just doubly to make doubly sure that you know you're you're doing the right thing in the right place. But for now, begin where you're most comfortable. Customer personas, journeys for those personas, figuring out what data you need to to keep those. Um, journeys flowing with content and information and visualize wherever you can this journey as you're going step by step through this data because that will make it much more meaningful for you and it'll also help you to filter out some of the data that may be superfluous you know you may have been collecting certain types of data and you think do you know we can't we, we capture that all the time but we never use it well, that wouldn't make you compliant. So you need to make sure where you can strip data out that isn't helpful or useful, then you do so because that will help again in the whole quality thing that we're looking to achieve here. And so how are you going to then be storing this stuff? You know, for some of us, we store our data on spreadsheets. For some of us, we store it in, you know, very, very secure systems. Whatever you are doing and wherever you're thinking about storing your data, we're going to be introducing the um, the phrase or um, the, the the term customer data platforms. You'll hear this a lot more as we go through the next couple of years. CDPs. CDPs are the tools where you can manage 360 degree profiles of your customers. Okay, this isn't my definition. This is a, a general definition of a customer data platform. But think about that for a moment. A 360 degree profile of your customer. So whichever way you look at your customer from how they buy to how they make decisions, to who's influencing them, to who potentially um, are their gatekeepers, to the products that they've, um, they've decided to buy, to the products they've decided not to buy, to the competition and how they work with the competition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Think of your customer data as a 360 degree um, view, if you like, of all of the little subtleties that make them special to you. And so a CDP that allows you to look at this customer from a 360 degree perspective is almost you could describe it as CRM on steroids. You know, it really is. I mean, this is where customer persona profiles meet customer journey mapping meets real obsession with tracking. And creating, and I love this word, intelligence to inform deep decision making. That's really what we're after here, is that the information that you're collecting, the data that you're collecting is just data. It always has been, and we've always been a little bit kind of reticent to worry too much about it because it's not the sexy kind of social stuff that we do, all the propositions and the events and all that kind of front facing stuff. But actually, it can be exciting because if you can turn that information into what we call intelligence, in other words, interpret that data so that it's actually meaningful to inform deep decision making about how you're going to form these customer relationships and add value at a personalized and customized level, exceeding the value the customers already had. That is what this value of this data is going to give you. Okay, so it's going to, if you can get this right, it's going to inform deep decision making. And the ultimate goal, obviously, is the optimum customer experience. And then potentially in the future, you know, expanding out into things that might even be as broad and as amazing and maybe not quite so future as things like metaverse marketing, but that one is for another day. But if you can get this right now, if you can really understand and begin to turn some of the data that you see, some of the analytics and the insights that you're capturing into 
intelligence that can inform better decisions, reduce the number of things that you do, but make sure the things that you then do are the right things to inform these you know, optimum customer experiences, then you are being a great marketer. Okay, you can leave the average marketers to just be producing content. That is kind of yesterday's activity. Today's activity and tomorrow's activity is all about this ultimate goal, the optimum customer experience. And you can only do that through the use of good, if not great, first party data, the data that you hold in your CDPs. So here we go. If you saw a previous um, webinar that I did um, on cookies and remarketing, which kind of introduced that this thing was coming, you'll have seen these 21 steps for your first party data marketing plan before. So I'm just going to whiz through these and you can come back and you can do these as a checklist at your leisure. Number one, create your nine month time plan to figure this out. It's now dropped to probably about six months. You want to be hitting 2023, knowing what it is you're going to do. Revisit and refine your data privacy and security policies, the ways that you're holding and managing your data right now. You've got to know what that is. There will be a data manager associated with your organization. And if it's you, you'll probably need to go and do this revisiting for yourself. But if it's somebody else, get a meeting with them, understand how things are changing. Set high level strategic goals for your first party data marketing plan. In other words, where do you want this to go? So when we talk about the optimum customer experience, what does that really mean to you as an organization? And then get down and dirty with the data. Revisit your own data records from web forms, surveys, past research, and cleanse the data. Seeking new consent, really, if you need to, on all appropriate data records that you decide to hold for the future. So if it means you go out to your customers again and actually ask them, is it okay if we hold this data for you? That is compliance. Okay, so re-seeking consent, saying, if you'd like to continue to receive these newsletters or these updates from us, please tick this box and we will be able to do so. And if people don't tick the box, you cannot, to stay compliant, then communicate with them in that way again. Okay, so it isn't good enough to send it out and say, oh, we sent that out. And then we kind of ignored what we heard because not enough people ticked the box. So we thought we'll just carry on and do it anyway. Hmm. That isn't what we're talking about here. What we're also talking about is replotting the customer journeys for your top priority personas. If you have a lot of customer personas in your marketing mix right now, maybe choose the first ones or the, the first couple and see if you can replot your customer journeys in a very data centric way first. So, so really prove the process, get the good practice going, and then you can replicate it across all the others a little bit later. And in these customer journeys, identify what we call the critical paths. So these are the minimum data holdings that we can have to understand how our customer goes from the point of awareness through conversion into being a retained customer. What is the critical path? What are the least number of steps to get them to being a loyal advocating customer into the future? Because all the other stuff is kind of superfluous noise that we don't really need to do. So what is the minimum number of things that we can do? Because that's the minimum amount of data that you need to do your job going forward. See if you can spot multiple and compelling data capture points on the journey. That sounds a bit grand and sort of big. 
What do we mean? Compelling data capture points. Well, that is points in the journey where a particular customer just might be a little bit more warm and receptive to giving you some data. And of course, this is that exchange of value that we talked about before. So if you've kind of given them something for free, maybe as an incentive, they're more likely then to want to pass back to you in this exchange a little bit of data. So if you want something, give before you think you're going to get. One of the key points as well in the customer journey where you're more likely to be able to capture good data and the highest quality data is just post-purchase. So if somebody has signed and committed to a contract or if they've just parted with their credit card details or they've just taken delivery of the product, at that moment, they are most likely statistically to give you some data to make sure you capture data at that point. And of course, the whole idea is capturing data at every point in the journey that's relevant to providing value to the customer going forward. Remember, that is always the filter. So find out what you can capture at the awareness stage. Find out what you can capture in that conversion stage I've just mentioned. And also see if you can establish any kind of schemes for capturing data at the retention stage, that third stage of the customer's journey. And where you can, where you can, if this is um, sort of um, helpful to you, see if you can reimagine the customer persona decision making criteria at each stage. In other words, from the data presented to the customer, what is their decision making process from choosing A versus B? Or I'm going to click this button on the page rather than actually go and seek some data from a competitor's website. Now, what is going on in the mind of the customer at that point? Because if you can reimagine that, there could be new opportunities for capturing data. In, and this is first party data, of course. So you're going to own this. You're going to hold this data that allows you then to correlate that data with how you can then help the customer to more easily make decisions to get into a relationship with you. Make decisions to buy your product or service. Make decisions to stay loyal with you in the longer term. So ultimately, that's what we're looking to do here. We're not just capturing data for its own sake. We're doing it to help the customer make better decisions. We're looking to see whether we can correlate the data with how our customer uses our products and services, and ultimately looking for opportunities to be able to upsell to them, to cross-sell to them, or even to back-sell to them, where we actually go back in the data and see if there was anything that they missed, whether they could have purchased something back in the day but didn't. Understanding from the data, well, why was that? Is there something we could do now to encourage them to do so? So inside of our data, there is a whole host of opportunities for gaining return on investment. And particularly in these times where, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, a lot of markets, people are just not spending. Well, the reason they're not spending is because they're not spending on stuff they don't need. But if you can encourage them through the use and manipulation of the data that you have, you can collate and correlate information with actual live behavior in the real world you stand a chance of adding the value that will convince them that actually, yeah, they do want that service or actually they are going to get good value from that. The lazy marketing approach here is to just carry on doing the same old things you've always done. 
Remember that word pivot. This is the chance to really pivot. And a little bit later in the list, point 19 there, we can reset our marketing key performance indicators based on what we see in the data. Maybe our targets are going to go up. Maybe we're going to see better return on investment. Maybe our advertising targets and campaign goals can be extended and stretched from what we see. This is an opportunity not only to just take stock and to filter out the stuff that's not served us in our data plans in the past, but to actually see whether this is actually going to help us to grow our businesses, maybe even without getting new customers. Now, wouldn't that be exciting? Again, there's an opportunity. A lot of people find when they look into their data, there are untapped opportunities that they would have otherwise missed. And a lot of those opportunities come from existing customers. And so really keeping this as part of the continuous improvement process and not just doing it one time, but actually building this into your kind of monthly reviews or building this into your um, tactical campaigns to constantly be revisiting your data is a surefire way of keeping success into the future. And so in comes GDPR. And this is not coming in at this point to say, huh, OK, we've gone and done all that activity. You've gone and done all your plans. Now is GDPR to strike it all down and tell you what you can't do. Actually, what you will find is that despite scaremongering, it's actually here to help you. It is here to help you to get competitive advantage, because if your competitors don't know the way to use GDPR appropriately, you can steal a competitive edge from them. And I'll give you a couple of little tips of things that you can do in just a moment. But for most people, GDPR requires data handlers or data managers to demonstrate how they comply with the principles. Now, that's an interesting word, the principles. And for example, by documenting the decisions they take about a processing activity. So in other words, if you document how you decide who your customer personas are, you document the customer journey, you document the reasons for collecting certain parts of or types of data, different points in that journey, you are complying with the principles of GDPR. It is quite simple. There are some huge horror stories out there of organizations who have been stung in a huge way for not complying with the principles, and they can astound you. In 2021, Amazon was fined 746 million euros for not complying with the principles. And in the UK, the maximum fine for breaching Compliance with the principles, this doesn't mean that you are following it to the letter of the law. It's complying with the principles. And I'll share what these principles are in a moment, just so that you can think, oh, OK, so actually it's not that scary. It's just being authentic and genuine and true and honest and open. And yes, it is. These are principles. But if you don't follow the principles and comply with them, the maximum fine for breaching UK GDPR is £17.5 million, pounds, or 4% of annual global turnover, whichever is the greater. Okay, So if you're a small organisation, you could be fined up to £17.5 million pounds if you don't comply with the principles of data handling. And that doesn't mean that if you don't decide to do all the things we talked about, it just means that if you actually fail to hold data in a responsible, compliant way, you can get a fine. So you can ignore this and you can get a fine. But if you don't ignore it and you use what we're talking about here to find out how best to comply with the principles, 
And I keep saying that phrase because it is about being authentic, being open, being true to how and why and where you're holding data, then you're complying with the principles. Okay, so I really want to get those two words in um, to, to your mind. It's, it's compliance and it's principles. Okay, so this isn't scary, scary stuff. It is actually quite straightforward. Um, I interviewed, when GDPR first came in, I interviewed quite a few people because I wanted to get like a legal perspective so that I could confidently say, actually, what does this really mean to us as marketers? If you don't want to read every clause and subclause of GDPR um, sort of uh, compliance, is there kind of like a fast track way to understand these principles? So I talked to lots of people and I'm going to share with you some of the top principles here. What you need to do is understand what personal data your organization holds to ensure nothing falls between the cracks. OK, so nothing's going to fall between the cracks if you document your personas and their journeys. You've complied. You need to focus on information security as the majority of data protection files are due to security breaches. So what do you have to do? You just have to hold it securely. So cloud storage, secure cloud storage is far better than holding data on a laptop that might get left on a train. And we've seen lots of stories in the media of big databases that have gone missing as a result of being held locally. So cloud security, best place to hold things. Be prepared. Individuals are becoming ever more aware of their rights. In other words, somebody can ask you directly and you have to provide the information. They can ask you directly, well, what data are you holding about me? And so having that accessible so that you can answer those inquiries is a requirement to being compliant. If you use a third party to handle personal data on your behalf, then you need to make sure that they are also compliant. If you view GDPR as an opportunity, it is a great excuse to interact with your customers, employees and other stakeholders. In other words, actually use it as a communications piece. Use it competitively to your advantage. Don't think of it as being one of those things that kind of sits in the corner ready, waiting to spike you with a really pointy stick if you get it wrong. That's not what it's here for. It is a great excuse to say, hey, customer over there, look, what we're doing is we're just updating our records here. This is what we've got um, sort of holding the data that we're holding on you. You know, is, is this stuff up to date? Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? It's a great excuse to interact. And we're not just talking digitally here. If you have a sales force or people who are on customer service, for example, you can physically ask the question. People like to know that you're taking them seriously. And so part of this professional intimacy, if you like, is reflected in those top five tips there, because it is about making sure that, you know, you're keeping that data up to date. That is about complying with GDPR. You can also then select a technology solution that ensures and enables you to be able to audit and understand the lawful reason you're applying to the processing of that data. In other words, the reason I'm holding this piece of data, piece of data, we'll call it X, okay, about a particular customer is because I want to serve them with this information on a timely basis like this. So actually documenting and actually being very clear about what every single piece of data type that you're holding is going to be used for is really, really important. And this implies then that you should ensure everybody who is a data processor or a data manager or controller understands 
that they are doing this consistently as well. Okay, because everybody who is using the data in whatever form in the organization has an obligation to keeping this data up to date, using it safely, making sure it is secure, and then understanding how this data is going to be used. So transparency is key. Bringing others into the conversation here as you start to plan your data strategy for 2023 and beyond is about engaging everybody in this journey. So it isn't just about marketing. There will be others in the organization who can be part of this conversation too. So celebrating this as an opportunity, really, to understand how and why, and then documenting the how and why you're holding particular customer records, particular pieces of data, and what you're going to use those things for at a very simple, practical level. So this piece of information here, that was this top tip here, says do not hide behind the jargon. Do not try and baffle anybody with science. Be open, authentic, honest, genuine and true. Those are the kind of the mantras, if you like, for good GDPR compliance. And if you just do that with good intention, remember I said compliance with the principles is all about having and demonstrating good intention in your data holding then what you're doing is you are complying. And so what is a, a kind of a lawful um, basis, if you like, for this? So kind of what would really be the checklist that you are going to be um, sort of looking at to just double check that, yes, you are you know, being compliant as you do this? Well, the first thing, obviously, is consent. You need to make sure you've got written and it's very tangible and it's very um, positive consent. You know, sort of not somebody not saying they don't want you to hold it. You used to be able to get away with that. No longer. It has to be tangible and um, given consent. Um, check contracts as well. You do have an obligation as well within any kind of contracts that you might have with stakeholders. I'm talking broadly, not just customers here. You do have um, a lawful basis for securely holding any contract data that might come in. So that could be data that's held about. Um, your ability to serve a particular contract that your organization has with another business, look into those contracts and find out what kind of data you're holding there. Uh, there is a legal obligation on everybody in the organization to follow suit. We've talked about that as well. Um, and the list and the list goes on. For me, though, there is one thing that allows us to, again, if we do this in an authentic way as a marketer, we can really, really cover our backs, if you like, when we're actually justifying the reason for holding data for marketing purposes. And the phrase here is legitimate interest. Okay, so I just want to explore this little phrase because this one is the one that is um, it's a, um, I guess it could be probably the more sensitive one where there is a, maybe a slightly grey area um, because if you don't get implied or you don't get exact consent from a particular customer to send them some information, maybe in a, an email or maybe in a newsletter or in a bulletin, you can still be compliant with the principles of GDPR by the concept of um, implied consent, if you like. Um, and this is allowing for legitimate interest that you perceive that the person you're sending it to has a legitimate interest in the information that you're sending to them. So you've got to be careful here. 
Okay, you have to be careful here because if you're sending them a very overt sales message, then that probably could be challenged, but they might have a legitimate interest in reading a blog or a white paper or an article that is quite objective, but very useful to them and their role in their organization. And you could argue, probably very sensibly, that they have a legitimate interest. And that in itself gives you the permission, because it is implied consent, to be able to send them that information, even if they haven't told you, yes, please send me information about this particular topic. Okay, so there's a subtle difference here. So this is why I'm saying about being compliant with principles is not a yes, no checklist that is absolutely definitive. It is something where you have an opportunity to interpret the principles. But I would say if you decide that you're going to use legitimate interest in your, um, your practice within marketing, think about data minimization. OK, so ensure that the data that you're holding and processing is adequate so it's sufficient to properly fulfill the stated purpose that you have, that it's relevant. In other words, the data you're holding has a rational link to that purpose of sending that information and that it is only limited to what's necessary. So you don't hold more data than you need to be able to send that information to somebody. So it might be that if you are sending out to a database of um, individuals that you're holding just these white papers for their you know, legitimate interest reason, and so you're saying well, that's implied consent, then that doesn't then give you the permission and it doesn't mean that you're complying with the principles if you then hold a thousand pieces of data about those individuals. What you might just need in a minimal data sense is their name and their email address. So there's an example of, you know, taking things right back to basics and saying, OK, it's OK to hold names and email addresses as long as I can show and demonstrate that the practice we are doing is minimal data holding with a legitimate interest, and I'm having implied consent to send this person this because I know that they would have a legitimate interest in it. And then I document that whole process, and then I repeat. And I repeat until such times as somebody says, mm -mm, don't want that anymore, I want to unsubscribe. And then complying with the principles means you then would remove them from that database and your job is done. Okay, so there is flexibility in here. You don't have to just not send something because of GDPR. If you can show and document that process, if you can make sure you're just holding data in a minimal kind of style that is related directly to the purpose you were going to use that data for, then you are complying with legitimate interest, data capture and usage. But you've reasonably got to balance your interests against the individual's. OK, um, if they wouldn't expect reasonably for you to be sending this to them, then that's beyond the point. So you have to really think of it from their perspective and keep a record of your legitimate interest assessment. So you need to do an LIA, a legitimate interest assessment, because this gives you the flexibility within the GDPR compliance. But it will help you if you're challenged, either internally or if you're challenged to demonstrate compliance, that you've actually done this in a thoughtful, in a compliant and in a, um, a such a way that it is that always you have the customer's best interests at heart. OK, and if you do that and include that within your 
privacy and information statement and your data holding statement, um, I would recommend that you do if you're thinking about using legitimate interest for marketing purposes, then you are then compliant with the principles. Okay, so within about 10 minutes now, I kind of explained to you some of the very, very kind of, you know, probably the, the most important significant things that are going to kind of come out if you do a data audit. If you want to get deeper into the um, into the principles, into the compliance and the things that are really important on this subject, go to ico.org.uk um, because all of the GDPR relating to marketing and for marketers is included on that website. So ico.org.uk. And you can obviously, if time permits for you, uh, you can get a lot more detail and uh, information there, which will help guide you. There are lots of checklists, lots of ways that you can then use to um, sort of the models and the principles in there to create these, uh, these documents that I'm talking about. And so there we go. There are the options. There's the future that is coming. It's on the horizon now. So you've got to be doing something about it. But I would say the top tips really are here that, you know, don't panic. This is an opportunity. You know, you might, this might be your first sort of dipping your toe in the water for the whole thing about data and GDPR. And you might think, oh, my word, there's lots of jargon in there, Neil. I don't really understand half of that. Well, you can get a certification at ico.org.uk or just use that and it is a government website, it's a government agency that allows you to kind of really understand this in a lot more detail and understand some of the jargons and, ter jargon and terminologies because I think it is about you know, getting a real kind of professional stance and the only way you can do that is to invest a little bit of time and energy. But do see this as building this customer intimacy that I've been talking about. Professional intimacy with your customer comes from understanding your data, comes from understanding their perspective and kind of that ex um, exchange of information that goes two way. Stay tuned in and watch the media. Um, obviously, the college website will have information on this going forward because it is really, really important. Um, stay tuned with me. Um, you can follow me on Neil Wilkins X on social uh, because over the next six months or so, I'm going to be putting updates out um, as we get more and more information coming through as to um, if anything changes, really, and we need to kind of repivot or just adjust anything that I've said here today. This is the latest stuff, but of course, it can change very, very quickly. Become a marketing cartographer. What is a cartographer? That's a map maker. So think about mapping this all out. I think for lots of us, you know, we, we are very visual in marketing. A lot of people I talk to are visual marketers. So map this stuff out. Don't keep it as kind of dry, dusty, thick documents that... Um, gather dust in the corner, um, you know, very much use these as active working strategies and plans and tactics. So become a marketing cartographer and map out the customer journey, map out the process and the behaviours and, you know, the information and the data that you need to do your job. And then ask for help. You know, there may well be people in your organisation who are already dedicated specialists, but if you're in a smaller organisation, you can get a lot of help, as I say, at ico.org.uk. UK. And in lots of ways, this is an opportunity for you to manage data within your organization, because marketing really does have that role. You know, we are, you know, blessed really to being the voice of the customer in our organization. And very, very few parts of the organization are able to proclaim that or able to do that. So this is all about taking that to the next level and actually using the data and the information that we have about all of our stakeholders and using it to improve 
those stakeholder and those customer experiences. And ultimately, that's really what this is about. Data is at the core or the engine room, really, of our marketing, but it is an enabler. It's not the end game, unless you're a, a data management company and you hold data on behalf of others. It is going to be just a tool to help you do better marketing. And the fact that you've spent the time listening to this and watching this and thinking about this and taking notes, and I hope you're going to take this on um, deeper into a journey. Um, this is a big, big opportunity for you to just become a more professional, more experienced, more um, forensic marketer into the future. These are going to be the kinds of marketers who are going to win in the future. The marketers who think marketing is just about just purely doing social well, we're going to have to wish them good luck because they are going to get lost in this big wave that's coming. Marketers who really, really understand and use their data professionally are going to be the marketing winners for the future. So the fact you're here, you're thinking about this, you've opened this box, you've understood a little bit about what we're talking about. Now is the time to go and have those conversations. So go and get certified at ico.org.uk if you need to, or just use that website to get a next level of detail. And make sure you use data because it's evidence. Data is evidence. Use it for your decision making, but also you can use it for you know, influencing across your organization. 